everyone, and welcome to this edition of On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Today, we're going to be looking back at the last year that was and uh, exploring some of the trends that helped define alcohol in 2022. That's right. It's hard to believe this is our last episode of the year. I mean, this one really flew by. That's crazy. And I, do, I think this episode might actually uh, run in the new year. So this will probably be our first one of 2023, but still the last one we're recording in 2022. Good point. <laughs> Te- technicalities. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I mine are all cocktail trends because there's just so many to choose from. So I don't do. Do you want to start? or? Well, I mean, yeah, let me let me start by saying that. I And, and I, I think what you're saying is very apt here, because I think the biggest alcohol trend maybe from this past year was the reopening of uh, on premise. You know, obviously, it, it felt so good to be able to go back out to bars and restaurants and to see all of our colleagues on the on premise uh, world get back to business. You know, obviously, they went through such 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 difficult times during the worst of the pandemic. So I do feel like a lot of the trends are going to be geared towards on-prem. I do have some off-prem trends, but why don't you uh, why don't you kick things off by uh, you know starting to talk about what what a big difference it made being able to reopen bars and restaurants? Okay, well, my first trend is is kind of an off and on thing, but um, it's the low to, and no ABV beverages, which you know zero proof beverages are just kind of moving away from mocktails and, and more towards craft cocktails with you know authentic spirit flavor, but no alcohol. You know, a lot of them are using these new no spirit spirits that are are coming onto the market. You know, we're also seeing bars and restaurants offering their signature cocktails with and without alcohol so that, you know, it looks exactly the same, tastes pretty much the same, but, you know, it's just a non-alcoholic version. And also just not only trying to replicate the existing cocktails without alcohol, but creating new and, and different recipes without they don't use any alcohol you know i get every sort of drink free holiday like sober october January, and all those you know i get a ton of of um of recipes for spirit free drinks but it's really more of a year-round thing now you know it's like not just a special menu for those times but you know options that you have to have in your beverage program for the people that don't drink absolutely and you know uh, one place that this also uh shows up a lot in the off-premise is you see a lot of non-alcoholic beer now as well and i think uh the non-alcoholic beer and the non-alcoholic spirit that allow this trend to uh to take off uh, the quality of these products has risen dramatically, I feel like, in the past three to four years, maybe even four to five years. And I think that's a one thing that's really helping drive this. I mean, you have so many great brands now. You know, Some that come to mind are Seed Lip and 21 Seeds over in uh, Spirits and uh, Partake, which is my favorite non-alcoholic craft brewer. They're out of Ontario, I think. They're out of Canada, that I know of. And they make a wide range of non-alcoholic craft beers that all taste pretty similar to what their styles would be. I mean, I'm talking about like porters and gozas and IPAs, and they taste very similar to what the alcoholic versions of those taste like. So you have these products from these brands now that taste so similar to what the real thing is that you can really make some superb non-alcoholic drinks. Um, And the other thing that really stands out to me in this trend is how the social stigma has just gotten away from people who are drinking non-alcoholic products. I mean, unfortunately, there used to be a social stigma. Really? You're not going to drink real alcohol where you're out at a bar. Like I thought you were out here to party with us, but now 
I just don't feel like that exists. I feel like you can get a non-alcoholic drink and nobody cares. Uh, my wife loves mocktails. She gets mocktails all the time when we go out. This did start because she was pregnant in the middle of the pandemic. So she had kind of an excuse. Um, but even after the, you know, we had our child, she continues to, to try mocktails and enjoy them. And again, none, nobody cares. Nobody in our friendship circle even pauses or yeah, has this single consideration when my wife orders a mocktail. So it's, it's certainly come a long way. Yeah, that's true. It, I mean, you'd, you'd be deeply suspicious of somebody that didn't drink or why, <laughs> you know, what, what, what's your deal? Are you pregnant? Yeah. Are you in trouble? Or it's, you know, but I think the, the younger generation too is driving that. Yeah. We don't care. And yeah. And also I kind of wonder if, you know, the increase in cannabis use as it mm. becomes more legal, you know, it's just people are opting for a different stimulant, if you will. Yeah, no, that makes sense as well. Uh, it certainly can go hand in hand with the rise of cannabis. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, another thing, actually, I guess is more of another on-premise trend, but I, I think, uh, you know, we brought up craft beer. To, when I think of 2022, I kind of think of a year that craft beer recalibrated. It was kind of a weird year for craft beer because going into the pandemic, it was all about tap rooms. It was all about IPAs. And you had this kind of emergence of kettle sours and light sours as sort of like the other option at breweries. And then obviously COVID shut down tap rooms for uh, the better part of a year or, you know, maybe even longer. And coming out of COVID, you know, craft beer's numbers are obviously flagging. The, the industry's uh, certainly seen better days. I know it's recovering quite well, but it's kind of a, it's a weird kind of mixture of what it was in 2019 versus all these forced changes. You know, obviously IPAs are still king, but I feel like we see uh, more lagers and lighter beverages now. You know, this obviously goes to the no-cal, low-cal movement, people just drinking healthier, and certainly COVID got health on everybody's minds. So I think craft beer evolved in a uh, natural way to see more light lagers, more low ABV products. And so I, I think we've also seen uh, craft beer. It, it certainly has come back for the taproom model. And I think that 2019 taproom trend is, is starting to come back on as well. Uh, but certainly an interesting year for craft beer, the way that it had to adapt to COVID. Okay. So my second trend, I don't think this is going to be your thing, Kyle, but... <laughs> vegetable cocktails vegetable cocktails yeah we reported on this in cheers but you know flavor exploration fell during the pandemic and kind of mm. stalled according to mintel data conducted last year vegetable flavors and drinks fell a lot in 2020 but they also rebounded you know as consumers wanted mm. to experiment a little bit more looking for flavors and ingredients that you know they're not going to have or do at home so you know, usually in the spring, we'll see people using like peas, um, carrots that like fresh vegetables to just, you know, as produce becomes available. But, you know, we also saw mushroom. It was a, a place that doing a whole mushroom concept. Mm. Butternut squash. Butternut squash is a new pumpkin spice mm. in cocktails. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, people. Um, yeah. Well, it kind of is pumpkin anyway, but, um, <laughs> you know, I I've, I've feel like I've seen more places doing cool things with um, that particular, particular vegetable this year. And also people use beets a lot because the, the flavor mm. is, uh, the color is so beautiful and, you know, the flavor is kind of earthy and savory. So it's sure. just, it's also kind of that savory cocktail thing. Yeah, but... Dwight, Dwight from the office would approve of that. <laughs> Shall I keep going or do you want to chime in? 
you know, you, you had mentioned something about kind of experimentation going down during COVID. Uh, I did also want to mention that that was something in craft beer I forgot to uh, say is that, you know, craft beer, I think, uh, got away from the million different beers released every single month that you saw pre-COVID to you saw more brands kind of double down on their uh, flagship products. You know, I think a good example being like Founders IPA. And now you have all, excuse me, Founders All Day IPA. And now you have all these different variants of Founders All Day. And they're just kind of they're dialing in on the brand everybody knows. You know, another one that comes to mind is uh, Dogfish Head Sea Quench. The way that kind of overnight Dogfish Head went from being a brewery that put out a thousand different beers a year to a brewery that made a lot of sequench. So I think you're going to see more of that moving forward as well. And again, that's a reaction to COVID. People kind of went back to what they knew and loved. And the uh, I think the savvy brands caught wind of that. And that was already kind of a trend pre-COVID. Um, but certainly COVID accelerated that uh, trend in the way that accelerated a lot of things. That's an excellent segue to my next trend. Good. People uh, going back to what they know and love. I was going to say nostalgic 80s drinks, but it's really much, you know, goes into the 70s and wherever. But, you know, 2021 was all about the cosmopolitan revival. Not that it ever really died, but, mm. you know, that was a drink of the summer. But this year, people were drinking Dirty Shirley's. Do you know mm. what a Dirty Shirley is, Kyle? I only know because we reported on it recently. <laughs> All right. Well, it's just a, a Shirley Temple with vodka, but, and it sounds like the, the dumbest thing ever, <laughs> you know, but they're so pretty, they're so delicious, and they just appeal to that whatever childhood flavor profile that takes people back. Um, and they're so sweet, but they're just, they're really good. You know, one of my beefs with the recipes I'm seeing is, People using Sprite, where my view of Shirley Temple is ginger ale. You know, Sprite is way too, it's sweet enough, but Mm. Sprite's ridiculous. So the Dirty Shirley is kind of a new one, but we're also seeing soft Midori Sours, Mm. green flashy ones, um, the Godfathers, you know, which I've never even had one. It's Scotch and Amaretto. You know, I'm going to have to try that. Mm. Blue Hawaii's I've seen a lot of grasshoppers, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically just bringing back things that are colorful and sweet. Certainly nostalgia, always an important trend. Certainly seems like one that's uh, coming back in full force here. Uh, one trend I wanted to talk about that I saw from the past year and kind of has me a little concerned for this coming year. And this is uh, particular to on-premise, excuse me, to off-premise to um beverage alcohol retailers is a big trend for a couple of years and still a very big trend with a single barrel whiskey picks where the retailers and bars and restaurants did this as well. I uh, would pick a single barrel of whiskey, bottle it, and then sell it through themselves uh, with their name on some sort of name brand whiskey, like uh, maker's mark or uh, bullet, et cetera. Um, my one concern, uh, especially as I was going around on my retailer road trip this summer, where I visited about a dozen or 13 different retailers in the tri-state area, um, is that I, I wonder if there's too many single barrel picks now, uh, because I'm seeing a lot of them sitting on shelves. I'm seeing a lot of them collecting dust. And it worries me. I, I won't say what retailer it is, but I was in one retailer where, you know, you expect some of the lesser known single barrels maybe to sit. But I saw not only one Maker's Mark pick sitting, I saw a second Maker's Mark pick sitting. I'll tell you, uh, here in Connecticut, if somebody has a Maker's Mark pick, it sells out in about a week or two. But this store I won't say where it was or what it was, had a couple of them in it and they were sitting. So I, I paused for concern that perhaps the single barrel whiskey trend, uh, the store pick trend has maybe 
reached some sort of high water mark and is now receding a little bit. I do not know what it'll look like in the coming year. Um, I still see the really popular brand selling out very quickly, or if a pick gets a reputation in the local whiskey circles for being quite good, it sells out quickly. But otherwise, I, you know, I worry that those bottles are, may sit a bit more than they have in past years. It also makes me wonder if the American whiskey uh, industry, which obviously is in boom times, uh, but I, it makes me wonder if it's suffering perhaps from the same thing that craft beer did during sort of the height of its own boom times, where it was just over innovation. And it kind of had paralysis by analysis on the uh, from the consumers who just have so many products, so many whiskeys. Now, when you look at the shelf, you know, wh which one are they going to choose? Maybe they're just going to get a little overwhelmed and just kind of sticking to one or two brands and maybe not experiment as much as they had in the past. So that's something for me to keep an eye on this year, especially as the single barrel store pick trend and where it kind of goes uh, moving forward from here. Yeah, because that's still happening on premise as well. But, you know, really, they can always get rid of it in cocktails yeah. or specialty things. So I, I don't think it's ever going to really sit there. So it's probably more successful for them if it's even if it's not the best barrel. It, it has given rise to the infamous bag purchase. Anyone who's a whiskey nerd knows what I'm talking about, wherein you buy a bag that has two whiskeys in it, one very uh, much uh, desired and the other is a pick that's not moving. Uh, very common way for someone to pick up, let's say, a bottle of something in the Buffalo Trace line is to also then have to buy some sort of pick that's not moving along with it. So it's kind of given rise to the bag movement as well, which is not a good sign. Hmm. All right. <laughs> so my next thing kind of builds on the other one, but it's so big that it needs its own trend, which is the espresso martini. I mean, that thing is it dates back to the early 90s, I believe, but it's just everywhere. And, you know, now cracking the top 10 on a lot of lists, you know, I guess it's just people love vodka, people love coffee. It's, there are a million different riffs on it, you know, a couple of interesting ones. I've seen one in New York um, at a place called Canto. The espresso coffee liqueur, a vanilla bean syrup, and they do it in like a simulated espresso foam with whipped mascarpone cream and mm. Bailey's liqueur that just looks amazing. And I've seen some, I had a, got a recipe for one with that used bourbon or rye with espresso mm. coconut cream, a whole egg, which is always optional, cream de cacao in like a coffee liqueur. So I, I just, I don't see it espresso martini dying down anytime soon. Sure, sure. Something else I don't see dying down anytime soon is the uh, explosion in two particular product areas uh, from the past year. I think any beverage alcohol retailer can probably guess too that I'm talking about. Those are tequila and RTDs, kind of connected because you do see a lot of tequila-based RTDs. But when I think of RTDs, the one I really think of is High Noon, which really had a year to remember in 2022. Uh, it just drove profit all over the place. Um, and what, what tequila and High Noon have in common is that there is no demo for these products, by which I mean there's no demo because the demo is everybody. There's no specific person buying these products. Every single person is buying these products. Um, it's crazy. You see people of all socioeconomic backgrounds buying, uh, especially premium tequila and buying High Noon. Um, I was in another uh, beverage alcohol retail store during my retailer road trip, and I saw a gentleman an older gentleman, maybe even blue collar in appearance, I, I don't judge, but certainly um, just a blue collar, a normal seeming older gentleman with a carriage uh, leaving the store with, I want to say maybe like 120 total high noons. I mean, I've never seen so much high noon stacked 
that high in a carriage before. And that was the only thing he was purchasing. And again, what I'm hearing from retailers is everyone's buying it. No one's not buying it. And the same thing is going for premium tequila. Everyone's buying it. Everybody wants to buy the top shelf tequila bottles. Uh, you know, there's a, a quote I've been saying for years and years from the great TJ Douglas, owner of Urban Grape in Boston, top 100 beverage alcohol retailer. Uh, one nice of the leading, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and one of the leading, someone who's really leading the charge to improve DEI in the wine industry in America as well. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a huge fan of TJ. Many years ago, he said to me that all whiskey drinkers are tequila fans. They just don't know it yet. Uh, but it feels like they know it now. You know, he told me that five, six years ago. It seems like since then they have figured it out and we're, we're seeing in full force, you know, the same people who enjoy the artisanal craft nature of whiskey are now enjoying the artisanal craft nature of tequila. Uh, tequila is no longer being bought for shots and uh, mixers. Well, obviously it is, but it's also now being bought as a premium product as well, uh, drunk the same way that people are drinking their high-end whiskey. And I don't see any, uh, any end in sight for the tequila boom. And I certainly don't see any end in sight for the RTD or high noon boom as people continue to enjoy the convenience and high quality of RTDs as well. It's like you're reading my mind, Kyle, <laughs> which we, we actually did not yes, tell for, each other what we were going to talk for, about. For a so podcast, we did no prep whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, no prep. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so my last thing is move over, Margarita. There's a new tequila cocktail in town. and It is called Ranch Water. So do you know what ranch water is, Kyle? I do because I see 8,000 ranch water products hitting the market every single day at the off-premise channel. Well, yeah, I didn't really touch on RTDs for the on-premise, but that's kind of where they, you know, become a denominator. But the first time that I recall it appearing in Cheers was one of our, I think it was a Q&A earlier this year, a place in Houston, I think, called Eight Row Flint. And they were saying one of their best sellers is a Eight Row Flint ranch water that they do with Soto, which is a, a Mexican spirit, lime, a lime oleosaccharum, and, and Topo Chico mineral water, which is what you're always supposed to use if you're a purist. And then in our tequila story that ran in Beverage Dynamics and Cheers, a place in Chicago called Big Star, was saying that it's they do their own house ranch water, uh, which is just tequila, again, the Topo Chico lime juice and a little bit of orange bitters. But they're saying they launched it in summer of 2021, I think. But they're saying it's really giving their margarita a, a run for its money. You know, it's just a lighter, bubbly alternative to the classic. And more recently, we profiled the Chili's restaurant chain, which is I believe the largest distributor of tequila and margaritas in the restaurant industry. Mm. And they just rolled out a ranch water of their own that, you know, they do, you know, make to order. Not that it's that hard to, to make one, but mm. it's not a, a canned or pre-made product. So, you know, they, when I was talking to the, the chief marketing officer there, he was saying, you know, it's a, of course, tequila is integral to the Chili's brand, but, you know, it's a, it's a Texas ranch water has its roots in West Texas. It's a, the cattle ranchers drank it. So mm -hmm. he was saying, you know, we want to democratize it for the rest of the country. So I think, you know, once it in Chili's, it's really going to take off and maybe instead of some of the uh, hard seltzer orders, mm. vodka soda orders, things like that, you know, they're going to go to ranch water instead. So we'll have to see what happens.
Absolutely. And like I said, I see so many ranch water RTDs hitting the market these days. Uh, so that's no surprise at all. I think there's been a movement towards drinkable tequila cocktails. Not that a margarita is not drinkable. In fact, it's probably too drinkable. Uh, but just in general, uh, tequila cocktails have really become drinkable. They've really reached the masses. And I think there's another reason why you see tequila really taking off these days. And again, no end in sight there. Yeah. And I think also with ranch water, you have that kind of authentic backstory. Mm -hmm. Like here's a real thing that people, you know, cowboys drink. That's also light and refreshing. We have a Q&A that just is on Cheers right now that I just posted. But Nice plug. Place. <laughs> I learned from the best. <laughs> um, but they do an industry night every Monday or Tuesday, I think. And he's just rattled off some of the things that they they have. And one is a dirty ranch water. And I didn't follow up. I, I, I've since followed up, but I didn't get the answer in time. I'm, what the hell is that? You know, maybe it's like a dirty martini and just with the olive juice or something. But you know, another thing to watch for, I guess. Absolutely. And I think those are all the trends we had from this past year. Please do join us, you know, in our next podcast where we're going to be trying to look forward into the next year and predict some trends. I know we hinted on some of those already, uh, but we are going to attempt to look forward and say where we think the industry is going next year. Bust out that crystal ball. That's right. We'll see what we can do with it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and uh, we will see you in the new year. Cheers. If you enjoyed the on and off podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Also, you can find more great content at cheersonline.com and beveragedynamics.com, including recipes, product reviews, and interviews with the movers and shakers of the beverage alcohol industry. You can also sign up for our free weekly e-newsletters for both publications on our websites. Cheers. Cheers.